So this reading is from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. The title this week is Self-Reliance versus Self-Reliance. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week, we considered the need for attunement with God, with the gurus, and with the wisdom of others until we make that wisdom our own. There's a strong and in fact valid belief nowadays in the need for standing on one's own feet rather than depending weakly on others to carry us by their strength. Swami Kriyananda was once asked, what is the best yoga posture? That one, he replied, which sets you squarely on your own two feet. Our strength must come from within. If that strength comes from the ego, however, instead of from soul consciousness, it is like a guitar string without its sounding board. The notes it emits will be thin and feeble. Our strength must come from within, but must be coupled with the recognition of our inner link with broader and higher realities. The Bhagavad Gita says in the 10th chapter, everyone in this world whose life is glorious or prosperous or powerful, know that his achievement is but a little spark from the great sun of my effulgence. Jesus, in talking to his disciples, emphasized also the power of attunement with his own consciousness as a ray of the divine. For this ray had descended already through him in response to their devotion. It was a sign that God was already listening to them with receptive attention and did not require to be wooed in that way any longer. In the passage preceding the one that we read last week, Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. This was the meaning of Paramahansa Yogananda's counsel also when speaking more intimately to the disciples of the need for attunement with him. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Oh. 
Good morning, everyone, and welcome also to our Sunday service here at the Temple of Light at Ananda Village. We'll start with our reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is entitled, Teach Me to Drown in Thy Light and, lo- and Live. Teach Me to Drown in Thy Light and Live. Paramahansa's uh, poem inspired by a Hindu song. <clears throat> I come to thee with the song of my smiles. Whatever treasures have lain in the secrecy of my soul, I bring eagerly to thee. I bring thee all the honey from the hive of my heart. All that was ever mine is now thine alone. The sunlight of this world shining upon my eager hopes and brief fickle fulfillments burned me repeatedly with dissatisfaction. Now I will quench my thirst forever in thy radiant waters. The taper of my aspiration toward happiness will burst aflame with thy coming into a conflagration of bliss. In thy vast, enchanting sea of light, I will swim joyfully forever. Teach me to drown in thee and live, rather than live in a mirage paradise of earthliness and die. So our topic today, uh, self-reliance versus self-reliance, is kind of a tongue-in-cheek battle between the little self and the great self, or God. And... um, You know, I was just reflecting, if I really relied upon God alone, on the higher self, I probably wouldn't need to prepare for this talk at all. But in as much as I'm I'm still working on it, and the little self is pitted against the big self, I I reflect a little bit on this topic. And I've always appreciated the little remark, uh, quotation that Swami Kriyananda cited of George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright who was at a party and his host inquired of him, are you enjoying yourself? To which he replied, that's about all I'm enjoying. (laughs) And to the extent that he may have been a yogi, um, he was hitting on this deep truth that there's this inner self, this joy that as devotees we rely upon, self-reliance. And we take God in our hearts and whatever the outward circumstances, try to rely upon that source. But self-reliance versus self-reliance also implies that these forces are oppositional. And that is true, certainly to an extent. Um, For those that may be aware or follow football, not American football, but soccer, this is a big weekend, maybe short of the World Cup, the biggest weekend, we've got the Copa America finals and the Euro Cup finals. And so today there's a big game between, I think it's England and Italy, if I've got that right. Now I'm not a huge sports fan, ardently following these things, but I'm aware of this, and neither am I a particular fan of either England or Italy in this case. But I was remembering just a moment ago somewhere that Swami Kriyananda describes in his youth, uh, perhaps when he was at Brown University, going to a, a match, I think it may have been American football, and he was kind of watching with amusement as the players would run in one direction, in one color, and all the people would cheer and yell, and then they'd run in the other direction, and the other fans would cheer and shout. And it's, it is, objectively speaking, kind of ridiculous. 
that we get all excited about this sort of nonsense. Um, but at the same time, there is these opposition, uh, oppositional forces at work. And particularly the man-made ones, you know, even when they're more serious in nature, Democrat versus Republican or vax versus non-vax, there's this tendency to polarize these oppositional forces. But it's really much more of a spectrum, isn't it? That especially in the case of the self and the self, that there's a spectrum of consciousness there. And they're not necessarily oppositional, especially as a devotee, as a disciple of a great master like Paramahansa Yogananda. I'm trying to merge my consciousness into that greater consciousness. And so if it was simply a polarization, and back to the example of, of giving this talk in this moment, who would I want to rely upon? Myself, Badri, or myself, Yogananda, a self-realized master, and God? It's a pretty simple decision, isn't it, as a devotee? But very often it's more subtle. And it comes down to attunement, which is probably the most critical aspect of the spiritual path, as taught by Yogananda and Swami Kriyananda. But I don't really want to talk about attunement because it's, it's so subtle, at least not directly, um, but to be more practical and to be more relatable, and frankly, because I'm not sure how attunement works myself. <laughs> but I'm working on it. So back to this idea of the self. I brought something for show and tell today. You know, Jesus Christ talked about the mustard seed, the tiny little seed, he said, when soweth in the field, a man grows this crop, and <clears throat> it produces this abundant vegetation that the birds of the air come and dwell therein. And I picked up on my way into the Temple of Light this morning, just outside, a little acorn. Now, this is from the species black oak, um, which is prevalent in this area of the Sierra Nevadas. And the black oak, for those that may not know, is this beautiful, majestic tree throughout the forest here. And it's not necessarily the tallest tree. Um, it's definitely among the most beautiful and majestic. But of course, it comes from this humble beginning of this little acorn here. And among its other attributes, perhaps the most important of the species black oak is that it's really the mother of the forest. It provides the most nourishment to all the species from this seed form, even through its death, you know, providing a habitat um, for fungus, for insects, for bees, bats, birds, and more. And so, again, there's this spectrum from the little acorn to the majestic oak tree that nourishes the forest. And for all of us, transcending the ego into the soul, there's this spectrum in this journey that we're on. I want to share a little bit, and this is perhaps treading some dangerous territory, but about my wife, Gita, <laughs> who's seated here in the temple. I did ask for her permission, so at least if I blow it, I've got that going for me. Um, but the last couple of years have been a real uh, 
challenged in some ways and, and transition time for our family and for my wife, Gita. Now, for the handful that may not know her personally, my wife grew up at Ananda uh, Village, primarily, and elsewhere. Um, she was born and raised at Ananda in the 80s and 90s. She went away to college and higher education, and after several years returned uh, in this last decade to Ananda Village, where we started our family. Now, her career uh, has been in nonprofit management and fundraising for this Temple of Light, for uh, NGO, different organizations throughout the world, and more recently working with horses in a new field. But the transition to this uh, new field didn't come easily. And in these last couple of years, and, and going back further, she was laid off from a couple of jobs. And especially in this last year, maybe year and a half, put out tremendous energy to try to find sort of a calling, you know, a meaningful way uh, to serve and to give of her gifts. And of course, there's a holistic picture here, our family, our community, our spiritual path. And among other things, LinkedIn and resumes and job search and really a great deal of energy um, pursuing a, a potential PhD and many other things, um, Gita wrote a cover letter to go with her resume and all this information. She wrote a cover letter to Babaji. Now this came, I think, through a friend of hers, and they cooked up this idea together that let's get Babaji in on this, right? The Mahavatar Babaji, again, uh, on behalf of God, let's get Babaji in on this sort of job search. And through a series of, you know, coincidences and circumstances, this work with horses began to develop. And in this last year, it's been really transformative for my wife, for my family, in, and for many others who are getting involved. And the work that she does is, is spiritual in nature. But most importantly, it's, it's fulfilling her, her soul and her heart, and it's touching others similarly in a way that is deeply meaningful and inspiring. And so, again, on this journey, on this spectrum of the self to the self, all of us are searching for, for higher meaning, for truth, and for love. You know, we live in kind of an age of, of self-reliance, and it's probably more of the little guy. And it's unfortunate in some regards, but there's also this tremendous potential for growth. And as devotees, this tremendous opportunity to be of service with our creative talents and energy and gifts. But as I look around sometimes at my peers, at myself, and this tendency to ask, you know, how do I express myself? How do I serve? Where do I fit in? It's, it can be dangerous territory, again, because the ego gets involved. And I was reading something just last night from kind of a legendary Ananda devotee named Haridas, who lives and serves in India now. And he was quoting Swami Ramdas, who said, uh, kind of prescribed this practice of a, 
kind of observing or watching the mind with a sense of amused detachment. And Haridas was just commenting on what a delightful practice this is, because the ego is so amusing in its antics, he said. And it's true that if we can just detach ourselves a bit, ideally with the sense of humor most of the time, and even a sense of delight, it's, it's really quite interesting and amusing. But more importantly, if we can work on some of those ways to get in tune. Obviously, meditation is a huge part of this, daily meditation. You know, our service and our attitudes are a huge part of this attunement. And that I was also struck by something that Swami Jyotish said recently at a satsang that was really inspiring in talking about these ways that we get in tune of, of meditation, of service. He said there's really a flow, and I'm paraphrasing here, but of magnetism that we get into that has the real power to change us and to accelerate our growth on that spectrum of the self. And so in the Ananda community, in the Ananda Sangha and family, there's this flow of grace and magnetism that comes not only through meditation and through service, but through association with our friends, with our home life, our work, and beyond. And the more we enter into fully with our hearts that flow, there is the power to change us and God's grace and the grace of the guru to accelerate our growth. And so the more and more we can give of ourselves fully into that flow of grace, there is the potential for, for change and for growth. You know, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's that beautiful passage that's so touching to the devotee um, that says that Krishna, on behalf of God, to Arjuna, on behalf of all of us, he perceives me everywhere and beholds everything in me. He never loses sight of me, nor do I lose sight of him. And that last line is so touching to the devotee, to the soul, because God is always with us always with us. And the more that we draw on God in our lives, in every aspect, the more we're forever unified. And in both the reading today and last week, which Jyotish talked a bit about at the end of Spiritual Renewal Week, there's this idea of abiding in God, and then God abides in us. And to abide is to make one's home, isn't it? An abode, like the birds and bats in the oak trees outside. Now, there's one last aspect, and I want to share about this idea of self-reliance, and just more and more relying always upon God and dwelling in God. And part of this is this idea that God is the doer in our lives. And as disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda, that everything in life, everything comes from the guru, from Yogananda. Um, I was thinking of the great naturalist, John Muir, who many people are a great admirer of, and uh, who's kind of a California hero and even national hero, helping to establish the, the state parks here in California and the national, um, national parks. And John Muir was, 
uh, if anything, a self-reliant man. Uh, he built his cabin, I think, in some remote corner of Yosemite Valley himself, and he built it in such a way that a little creek could flow through a corner of the cabin so he could enjoy the sound of the water there in his home. And he would venture off into the wilderness there for days on end with nothing but his tin cup and a loaf of bread to sustain him. And to be sure, he would rely upon God in nature and within himself, a deeply spiritual man. There's one uh, account that is particularly inspiring and delightful when there was a great snowfall in Yosemite Valley. And John Muir wanted to awake early uh, the next morning with several feet of snow. He thought if he could ascend a high peak somewhere in the canyons, uh, above the canyons there in Yosemite, he could observe the sunrise and see the magnificent beginning of the snow melt, Sartain Gorge, all the many waterfalls and just the beauty of it all. And so he awoke early and he set out through this deep snow and he began to ascend one of the, the canyon walls. And it was much tougher going than he thought. The snow was up to his waist in some places. And after several hours of this, six or seven or eight, he wasn't even halfway up the canyon wall and the sun was beginning to rise. And worse still, as he began to trudge and work his way through this deep snow, an avalanche began up above him. And as a huge you know, descent of snow came down the mountain and could have easily killed him, John Muir describes that he spread himself out with his arms and legs in the shape of a star, and he rode the avalanche down the rest of the way. And he said it was a most exhilarating ride. <laughs> and he was delighted at the bottom with the outcome, which, as I said, of course, could have killed him. But there is this aspect of the spiritual path, too, that the more and more we rely not just upon ourselves, but upon God within ourselves and everywhere, that even these sort of mishaps can become really a delightful and a joyful ride. And so, ultimately, there really is just one self to rely upon. And again, as spiritual seekers are realizing and working on realizing more and more of this truth that everything, absolutely everything, will let us down in the end, except for the self. And it's a journey and it requires patience and ideally friends. But as Yogananda said very beautifully, he said, there are only two commandments. They kind of use the Old Testament terminology. He said, there are only two commandments necessary on the spiritual path. He said, to love God with all thy heart and to love thy neighbor, which is to say everyone else, as thyself. And so, keeping this love of God, full cup of love in our hearts, and sharing it with everyone becomes the only necessary ingredient to realize the self. And like in the account of Rama from ancient India and his chief devotee Hanuman, the monkey god, Rama could never best Hanuman. 
Rama, the Lord himself, a great warrior and God incarnate, when they were sparring and practicing wrestling together, Hanuman would always win. And when asked the secret of his success, he famously revealed his heart. And there was Lord Rama and Sita, the Divine Mother and God, within his heart, the source of his power. And so keeping this love of God and sharing it with everyone, we too will always have victory, success, happiness, and that love of God and joy. Many blessings all. Let us in gladness all live for